This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. This week, our news publishers pitched up at Parliament to make their pitch for a new law to force Google and Facebook to pay them for their news. In Australia, something similar has worked and put big bucks into media companies' coffers and kept journalists in their jobs. But in Canada, it's been a bit of a mess so far. So can our media companies persuade enough MPs to help them to force the trillion-dollar tech titans to cough up here? And if they do, is it really a good idea? We talk to the ex-editor, now leading the United Front for our news publishers. But before all that... Auckland's transport turmoil made headlines this week and put the mayor and the minister on the spot and in the media spotlight. An omni-shambles. That's how Auckland's mayors describe the city's train cancellations with new warnings there are more to come each and every day over the next several weeks. Some trains were working, many weren't. Was yesterday last straw? Yeah, it really was. It was TVNZ's One News on Tuesday reporting on cancellation chaos caused by train tracks getting too hot to travel on in Auckland, apparently. And then TVNZ reporter Kim Baker-Wilson told viewers there would be more disruption if the weather stays hot. And in the longer term, bigger problems. Wayne Brown has now formally told Auckland Transport that it needs to stop all of its projects being funded by the regional fuel tax. That is the tax that the government is moving to scrap. Wayne Brown has been a long-time opponent of that. Now that it is happening, Wayne Brown says other ways need to be found to make those projects happen and that Auckland Transport shouldn't assume it's going to get extra money from higher council rates or higher council debt. And one of those projects paused by the Mayor Wayne Brown was a busway through the electorate of Simeon Brown, the Transport Minister and Minister for Auckland. And the next day, the lead story in ZB's news bulletin was this. A perfect storm is brewing in Auckland over transport and investment in it, or rather, lack of it. Mayor Wayne Brown wants no more money spent on a range of transport projects in the face of the cancelled regional fuel tax. Soon after that, Wayne Brown was on RNZ's Morning Report and co-host Corin Dan asked the Mayor this. Is this a game of chicken you're playing with the government here, trying to build public support and see who blinks first? But Wayne Brown didn't chicken out. He went on to say that Auckland needs Wellington out of its business, though later at one point suggested, in exasperation, Wellington could take over the whole business if they really want to, though he didn't really mean that. But the same morning on News Talk ZB, Mike Hosking asked Wayne Brown this. So, um, so, but what we're finding out here, Wayne, is a mayor's just a just a just a figurehead in that sense. I mean, you can write all the letters you want, bang all the heads together you want, have all the meetings you want. Auckland's still stuffed, and everyone can see it. Well, I, I think that's the. Uh, I'm getting a, a bit more than being a figurehead. I'm quite a pain in the ass to some people now, which is very good. But the supposed figurehead, Wayne Brown, told Mike Hosking he did want to bang heads together. I've got him in tomorrow. The three of them are going to be in the room and they're going to get a bloody good bollocking from me. But would arse-kicking, head-banging and bollocking actually unblock the traffic and the trains? Former Business NZ Chief Phil O'Reilly told News Talk ZB, maybe. Whenever I see people pointing fingers and shouting at each other, usually that's a good symptom of the fact that there's plenty of blame to go uh, around. So let's make sure we get it all out on the table at all yeah. once, shall we? Anyhow, while the answer to this question Mike Hosking put to Wayne Brown seemed pretty obvious... Are you prepared to admit in front of hundreds of thousands of people that this is not Auckland's best week? Um, that's a bit difficult, really. Mike Hosking went on to make a meal of Wayne Brown's hesitation there later in his show. No, I reckon we got three trucks and an ambulance there.
Have we? Are you prepared to admit in front of hundreds of thousands of people that this is not Auckland's best week? Um, Sounds like that might be the only transport moving swiftly in Auckland right now. But having declared Auckland stuffed, Hosking wound up his chat with the Mayor, looking on the bright side. To defend Auckland just momentarily, at least we don't have mice in our salads. Or do we? We'll probably find that out by the end of the day as well. 14 past seven. But Mike Hosking clearly wasn't watching TVNZ1 News the night before. Just before Kim Baker-Wilson's transport trauma update, this development led the TVNZ bulletin. Well, in the last 20 minutes, we've just heard from Foodstuffs North Island, who own Pack and Save, who tell us that a lone mouse was seen at their Lincoln Road Pack and Save in West Auckland. It was spotted by customers shopping in the store, scurrying among the aisles. Pest control was quickly called, and apparently the mouse was caught and disposed of. So that crisis is averted. I took a look at the reporting of the retail ratastrophe in this week's Midweek Media Watch last Wednesday on Nights with Emil Donovan, where we also talked about two awkward interviews featuring Vladimir Putin and David Seymour, and we looked at the coverage of the state of emergency with the Port Hills Fire in Christchurch. If you missed it, Midweek Media Watch is on the Media Watch page of the RNZ website. You'll find it on our section of the RNZ app, or it's available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Now, as we've just heard, there's been lots of angst about Auckland transport this week and how to pay the big bills now that the Auckland fuel tax is no more. Hayden Donnell reports now on how one big bill hit the headlines and fired up debate this week, but the numbers were way off. This is all about the cost of living for Aucklanders. If someone's driving a Hilux, they'll save around $9 every time they fill up their car. Someone who's driving a Corolla, around $5. And that's money that won't be funding... $500,000 speed bumps in Auckland. That's Transport Minister Simeon Brown defending his government's decision to drop the Auckland Regional Fuel Tax in Parliament on Tuesday afternoon. $500,000 speed bumps, or as they're known in the transport world, raised pedestrian crossings, may have been on his mind after reading that morning's issue of the New Zealand Herald. Its page three lead by Super City reporter Bernard Orsman ran under the headline... AT pushes on with project, building $500,000 crossings. The story focused on Auckland Transport's plan to build 29 new pedestrian crossings as part of some street upgrades it's carrying out in the suburbs of Point Chevalier and Westmere. It was the latest in a series of reports from Orsman raising hackles about costly crossings, including one in three kings, which had to be built, ripped up and rebuilt at a cost of $600,000, and another on Williamson Ave in Ponsonby, where unexpected stormwater issues pushed the price tag to $490,000. Another report noted that AT is installing 27 signalised crossings over two years at a cost of $12.7 million dollars, or about 0.6% of its annual capital budget of $1.1 billion. There was just one small problem with the headline on Orsman's latest report, though. None of the 29 pedestrian crossings in question cost anything like $500,000. In fact, the real estimated cost of the crossings was between $19,000 and $31,000 each. OK, maths isn't always a journalist's strong suit. Maybe somebody slipped up on the calculator and accidentally inflated the price tag for the crossings by roughly 1,500%. Maybe the headline was a guesstimate or an extrapolation from earlier stories. Except 
AT has confirmed to Media Watch and others that the real cost of the pedestrian crossings in question had been provided to the Herald long before its publication date. Not only did those figures not make it into the paper's headline, they apparently didn't warrant inclusion in the story at all. Instead, it repeatedly referenced the high cost of some pass crossings without once quoting the comparatively piddly price of the 29 plan for West Merrim Point Chevalier. That didn't stop the story being shared by RNZ and generating a flood of mostly ill-informed angry comments on Facebook. No wonder then that $500,000 crossings weren't just vexing Simeon Brown by the following morning. News Talk ZB host Mike Hosking introed his aforementioned interview with Mayor Wayne Brown like this. Well, how about Auckland's week, eh? Half a million dollar pedestrian crossings, trains that don't work in any sort of heat, scrapping between Kiwi Rail and AT, water pipes bursting yesterday, now the Mayor has told AT. Hosking went on. Well, see, part of the problem with your, with, with your fuel funding, for example, if we weren't a city that had half million dollar pedestrian crossings and $300,000 speed humps, do you reckon people would have more sympathy? Well, some of those things are pretty stupid, and I've been quite clear in saying that I'm not mad about them. If Hosking had opened the Herald that morning, he might have seen something which would have made him feel a bit better about Auckland's week. A correction on page 5 read... A headline about pedestrian crossings being built between Point Chevalier and Westmere said they cost $500,000 each. This was incorrect. The story also omitted AT's estimate for the crossings, which it predicts will cost between $19,000 and $31,000 each. It's not really a surprise that Hosking didn't spot that, though. It ran in a small corner at the bottom of a column of news briefs on page 5 of the paper. Easy to miss. As the slightly augmented saying goes, scream the error, whisper the correction. Hayden Donnell there on one story about Auckland's transport turmoil that hit the headlines this week, but which didn't quite add up. Last Wednesday, Murray Kirkness, the editor of the New Zealand Herald's publisher NZME, and Shane Curry, his predecessor at the Herald, who's now NZME's editor-at-large, both put themselves forward for an Ask Us Anything online Q&A about the state of the media. And predictably, perhaps, there were lots of questions about political bias, trust and standards at the Herald, and a few gripes about te reo and Māori issues mixed in. But in response to one reader asking about the prospects of our news media... Shane Curry replied like this. I expect we'll see more local partnerships, more innovation and a more coordinated approach to addressing the global issues impacting the industry. The Fair Digital News Bargaining Bill is an important aspect to this. Now this was the only time that the Fair Digital News Bargaining Bill came up in that online forum. No surprise really as it's not really been headline news. But media leaders know all about it because it could be a financial lifesaver. And the following day, they descended on Parliament to try and persuade MPs to turn it into law. Well, we'll hear what happened at Parliament last Thursday in a minute. But first, just what is the Fair Digital News Bargaining Bill? Well, essentially, it's a proposal to pressure Google and Facebook's owner Meta to pay New Zealand media companies for local news and content, which they carry on their powerful and lucrative online platforms. And their success over the past 20 years has come at the cost of local media, who've lost the lion's share of their ad revenue to those platforms, while at the same time becoming more dependent upon them to reach an audience online. In Australia, the government reacted with legislation to force the tech titans to do deals with news publishers if they didn't hammer out their own deals by themselves, 
And while that was untidy, it has put millions of dollars back into news publishers, both big and small, though most of it went to the big ones. Well, here, news publishers got permission from the Commerce Commission to bargain collectively with Google and Meta to make sure that big and small alike could all benefit if they ever did get around the table. But they need the government to pass a law to force the tech companies to do that. Now, having said it would wait and see what happened across the ditch, the former Labour government finally put forward the Fair Digital News Bargaining Bill last August. Now, this tasks the Broadcasting Standards Authority with creating a bargaining code for digital platforms and news media companies, and if agreement on payment can't be reached, an arbitration process would kick in, and the BSA can hand down fines and penalties of $3 million or more for failing to bargain in good faith or for refusing to engage in compulsory bargaining. Now, at the time the bill was presented to Parliament, News Hub's Rebecca Wright asked the then Minister of Broadcasting, Willie Jackson... What took so long? We've got this. We've got this in place. It's taken got, too long, though, hasn't it? Uh, it has taken too long. But the main the main point is it's in now. And look, any right thinking person um, or right thinking party would support this because you don't want to get offside with the media, do you, Rebecca? No, I don't think you do. I don't think you're not in election campaign period anyway. Well, that election came just two months later, and Willie Jackson's government went out, and it looked like that bill would follow it out the door. The National Party's Minister-in-Waiting, Melissa Lee, told Stuff that governments should not be involved in the business of the Fourth Estate, and the ACT Party had opposed the bill in Parliament last year as well. But the new government's media minister, Melissa Lee, didn't kill the bill when she was appointed. She allowed it to go through to the select committee stage. And earlier this month, the briefing to the incoming Minister of Media warned that the traditional media business models are failing. And the Sunday Star Times reported that the Newspaper Publishers Association had not given up hope on the bill progressing. Late last year, the News Publishers Association hired its first public affairs director to push for this, Andrew Holden, the former editor of the Press in Christchurch and later of Melbourne's main daily, The Age. And Andrew Holden told the Sunday Star Times this about the legislation. The heartbeat is there. It may not be exceptionally strong, but still, the heartbeat is there. There is hope. The opportunity is there for us to make the case. Well, that opportunity came last Thursday before the Economic Development, Science and Innovation Committee and several of the media bosses who spoke there gave the impression their own heartbeat wasn't too strong either and they all said they were in an unfair fight to survive against Google and Facebook. The first up was Daryl Holden, the managing editor of the Ashburton Guardian, who said that in spite of innovating and even putting up a paywall, his intensely local 145-year-old paper was now in jeopardy, and it wasn't the only one. This could be the collapse of New Zealand media, and with that we know what effect that could have on communities that have relied on them for so long. Stuff is of a very different scale to the Ashburton Guardian. It has 19 newsrooms nationwide employing hundreds of journalists, the owner Sinead Boucher told the committee hearing on Thursday. But journalism there, she said, is in a fight for its life too and clinging on by its fingertips against some of history's biggest companies. I don't think it's generally well understood how, how much they control the entire digital ecosystem. They control access to the internet, access to your audience. They harness your customer data and build products off it. They, use, they control the advertising technology and are able to set pricing and, and the sort of digital advertising world there. Um, the tendrils are everywhere. And um, no matter what our businesses do to try and meet the needs of their audiences and things, they are essentially 
like running up a hill all the time, um, trying to catch up to uh, the platforms that are harnessing all the, all the value. Speaking for Commercial Radio's Umbrella Group, the Radio Broadcasters Association Chief Jaina Ranguni told the committee this. What the government is asking New Zealand media companies to do is to compete against the likes of Google and Meta in the current regulatory framework is like asking the All Blacks to compete at a Rugby World Cup in New Zealand in bare feet. It is not a level playing field. There is just absolutely no way that any of this legislation is about helping the New Zealand media companies. It is about trying to deal with the issues of a huge imbalance in the market structure that we're operating in. Now, RNZ doesn't have to worry about digital ad revenue being fully funded by the taxpayer, but its chief executive, Paul Thompson, told the committee that the survival of journalism in New Zealand was a matter of national sovereignty, and he said that the tech platforms hadn't acknowledged the benefits they've had from New Zealand news and wouldn't do so of their own volition. It's a level playing field that allows us to enter into good faith negotiations and extract fair value from those discussions. If they were going to happen to a satisfactory level, they would have happened by now. And there was plenty more said by more media bosses on Thursday backing the fair digital news bargaining bill. And there was plenty too from opponents who argued it was unnecessary or possibly even an overreach of state power on the affairs of the news media and the digital media business. Google and Meta incidentally didn't turn up at the hearing, but their submissions on the bill do say that it's unfair, ignores economic reality of publishing today and misunderstands the way their platforms work as well as the value they believe they do deliver to news publishers. You can read more about all that in our online roundup of last Thursday's hearing that's on the MediaWatch page of the RNZ website. But when his own turn came to speak at Thursday's hearing, the News Publishers Association's Andrew Holden cited Cyclone Gabriel, which struck one year ago this week. We know about the difficulties in Tairawhiti and Hawke's Bay because of the journalists on the ground who are reporting and telling us exactly what's occurring there and the difficulties that still exist. Google and Facebook know that we value news, but because of their dominance of social and social media, they're taking the lion's share of the digital advertising. And they pay nothing to the companies who provide that information, whether it's from the Port Hills or the aftermath of Cyclone Gabrielle. Put simply, the market is broken. Just like the homes, businesses and properties in Hawke's Bay and Tairawhiti, it needs to be fixed. We believe this legislation is the most efficient and timely way to do this here in New Zealand. So what happens next? And what is the publisher's plan B if the weak heartbeat that Andrew Holden identified wasn't pumped up enough by their pitch to MPs last Thursday? We're likely to see that select committee come to an agreement in terms of what they think of the legislation and what might change. And uh, so still a couple of months before it gets to the minister. And at that point, we'll hear from Minister Lee whether she thinks it's worth pursuing with the legislation or whether she's going to kill it off. Well, There was, uh, I guess, a unity of opinion among the media publishers who were there, whether they were Ashburton Guardian-sized or Stuff, NZME-sized, the big companies, that the playing field wasn't level. Um, But look, in the past, like, publishers were pretty keen to exploit the opportunities of online, right, when this effectively had opened up a new playing field to them, the online one. At what point did you realise or other publishers realise, actually, this isn't really working for you and that, you know, now you need a law to compel them to basically return you money for your news. I think we've seen that progression over probably the, the, certainly the last five years 
where you've seen uh, companies like Google uh, and Facebook to a certain extent start to uh, change and tighten the algorithms that uh, that operate within their platforms that then determine what kind of information is presented to you. When you do a search for any particular element, there'll be a range of, of articles that will come to you first. And you'll notice, in fact, that it's the sponsored content that comes to you first, which basically means the companies have paid Google. They've, these major tech companies have, have seen the, the advertising opportunity the financial opportunity and have have fundamentally geared the the algorithms on their platforms to suit them. That, that's essentially what's happened. And, and the great frustration for publishers over the years is that they've had no warning of those change of algorithms. They've had no opportunity to uh, engage and, and argue the toss, if you like. And we can certainly see um, from the Advertising Standards Authority chart over the last decade uh, the, the growth of interactive digital only advertising. It's gone from around 700 million in 2015 to 1.7 billion in the last 12 months. If we go back to another issue, um, say that the, when stuff tried to merge with NZME, at that point we also had, you know, the message coming out to the public. 30 editors, I think, co-signed a, um, a letter saying we all this merger must happen. It's critical to the survival of news. You know, this whole message about the limited lifespan of news if current market conditions aren't um, ameliorated was out then too. Do we have to be a bit, little bit suspicious about this absolute unanimity among? Publishers, because you could certainly use the profumo um, scandal famous line of, well, of course they would say that, wouldn't they? Um, but I mean, these are companies that uh, are more than happy to compete aggressively with each other. There isn't a un- um, unanimous opinion around, for example, uh, commercial publishers like Stuff and NZME. But what's very clear here and, and, and came through yesterday is, is this is basically a market breakdown. The it, it's skewed dramatically in favour of the big tech companies. Um, and it's this kind of legislation that we're arguing, you know, is needed. I remember 12 years ago, a guy from Google came to New Zealand. He was a guy that developed Google Maps. And at that point, he was saying, look, news companies don't, that don't want us crawling over them and surfacing their stuff, they can opt out if they want. Would you be saying it's not something you can opt out of, their dominance of the oh, digital marketplace? Absolutely. So and look, there's a, there's a really good Swiss study that's, uh, that's gone into... And their research shows that 90% of people search for information via a search engine. The vast majority of people will go onto Google or Bing and they'll say Cyclone Gabrielle search, and it might, or they might even write in stuff because they want to go to the stuff website, but they're going to it via Google. And that gives Google the opportunity to make money out of that, clip the ticket long before you get anywhere near the stuff website. Well, Meta and uh, Google were not taking part in that committee hearing, uh, although they have submitted on the bill. So just kind of paraphrasing here, but uh, Meta, for example, said the bill ignores basic economic realities of uh, the digital marketplace these days. They say the bill does not provide for fair dealings. It's really compulsion. It will compel Meta to enter into commercial agreements uh, that they say misunderstand or ignore how their platforms actually work. Also, Meta cited the free value we provide news publishers. They say... In the year to September 2022, 390 million links, or clicks, sorry, uh, delivered to New Zealand news media companies via Facebook. They estimate that to be worth $33 million to them. None of that was mentioned by any of the publishers in the hearing. Oh, they do deliver some value, but it's a minuscule amount compared with what they're earning out of it. I mean, these are the same arguments they've used in Australia, they've used them in Canada, they use them in every jurisdiction to try and bat this away. When... 
they are obliged to come to the negotiating table. They do do deals. I mean, in, in Australia now, there's 23 agreements between Google and the media publishers. But Meta, which everybody's fearful will just walk away and have absolutely nothing to do with it, mm. has 13 agreements in Australia with media companies, which at the end is delivering around $200 million to media companies in Australia. So relationships now between the big tech companies and the media publishers there are far better than they were before that legislation has come in because that, that dispute, if you like, has been finished. They've got around the table. They've had that commercial negotiation and now they can move on from that. Um, you know, we, we don't really know what the fair value, market value of news is, do we? Well, let's get them in the room. I mean, that's the point. They won't come and sit in the room and sit down with New Zealand publishers and have that conversation and have that argument over, but I'm providing you this versus what I'm getting out of it. I mean, you know, let's face it, Facebook makes $200 million a year out of the New Zealand market, a country of 5 million people. So it's not as though it's of no value to them whatsoever. So you would so, find out if they did get in the room without the legislative backstop, you know, if that's their argument, you'd say, yeah. And, you know, and the point was made by a number of people, that, you know, including Grant McKenzie out of Allied Press down in Dunedin, try and get Facebook in the room. They, they simply won't come into the room and have that negotiation to you. NZME pointed out they had a one-year deal with, with Meta, with Facebook, that hasn't been renewed because they don't believe this legislation is going to go through. So because they split away from your organisation's collective effort. Yeah, right? they, they went on their own. So <clears throat> what they're, they're saying to us or, or to the public in general is, Unless Facebook feels like they're obliged to come in and have a conversation with New Zealand media companies, they're not going to. You're not even going to get to that point where you can have a legitimate debate around what the true value is. So you raised the Australian experience um, where the government did back up the media industry. Uh, Yes, it's delivered a big stream of revenue to the media. There are arguments about whether the bigger companies benefit more than the smaller ones. But what about Canada? Because people say that appears not to have worked. Uh, Meta blocked links to news on Facebook. Google threatened it. Um, news companies are still trying to go- negotiate, we believe, with the government you know, for effectively bailouts. Things aren't working there, right? Uh, oh, well, not necessarily. I mean, so Google has done a deal um, uh, via the Canadian government to deliver $100 million every year across the media organisations within, um, within Canada. And they've come up with a formula that determines which news organisations with Canada get what portion of that $100 million. And that's an ongoing deal. It's not a three-year deal with a, with a finite lifespan. That continues on and on. So there is $100 million there. Um, so in that respect, it has been successful. I mean, the, the, the argument around um, Meta and Facebook uh, and their retribution, if you like, I mean, what are we saying here? That clearly Meta has demonstrated they have no corporate social responsibility they're more than happy to damage the communities that they've profited from if it means that they don't have to get forced into a room to have a negotiation. So are we supposed to, at that point, suddenly give up and say, well, because of this bullying behaviour, therefore we're not going to force them to the table because we're fearful of that? And and that goes to the point made by RNZ's Chief Exec Paul Thompson yesterday. There is an element of national sovereignty here that says that Within our country, that kind of corporate bullying behaviour shouldn't be acceptable. You could, if you wanted, introduce into this legislation an all-in or an all-out kind of clause that says to the likes of Facebook, well, if you want to operate within New Zealand, you don't get to pick and choose who's allowed to use your platform. Either everybody can use it or you don't operate in New Zealand. I think the question here for New Zealand is, what do we believe is fair 
in terms of our media organisations and that lion's share of digital advertising. And if that means that we feel we need legislation to bring the likes of Meta to the negotiating table, then we should introduce it. Well, one of the uh, third parties, if I could put it that way, who appeared before the committee yesterday, so not representing publishers or uh, tech companies or taking a political position, uh, retired former judge David Harvey. Um, So he's had an interest in cyber law and technology and copyright um, for some time. I think former chair of the Copyright Tribunal, I, I believe. He said... You know, you could use existing copyright laws for this. You don't need this bill. Why couldn't copyright law come into play if if this is republication of stuff that you hold the rights for, your members do? Well, the simple fact of the matter is, Sinead Boucher from Stuff pointed out the Select Committee yesterday. Is Who's that the is, current chair of the N- current chair of the MPA? That's correct. Is that that's a hugely expensive way of trying to determine your copyright to 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 instigate. Uh, a legal writ against the like of Google, with, which has substantially more financial power than the publishers here do, to take them to the courts in New Zealand, the detail that you have to provide uh, and the years that it's going to take you to go through that legal hearing and potential appeals afterwards, it's not a practical way. The only media company that I'm aware of in the world who's attempting that is the New York Times right now against Microsoft and OpenAI around the use of New York Times content to train their, um, their AI chatbots. New York Times is, is one of the greatest, largest media companies in the world. News Corporation could well have done this, if you like, in jurisdictions like Australia, taken another copyright act. Essentially, what you're hearing from the media organisations around the world is that's just not a practical way to get these big companies to the negotiating table and come up with a fair result. Well, finally, if we could move to the political response uh, to the bill and and what will determine this. So um, the Cabinet Paper 4 this fair digital news bargaining bill, uh, says continued public funding of public interest journalism increases risks around the perceived independence of and public trust in the media. Do you think then that the current government might find it persuasive that if this bargaining bill goes through, news media can find a source of revenue that will mean they won't have to enter into these arrangements of public funding of, of journalism? Yes, Absolutely. The commercial, they, uh, uh, the commercial publishers don't like the, the kind of schemes around the PGIF. It was needed at the time because of COVID, but they don't like going cap in hand to government and having to justify why they need a journalist to sit in a courtroom or whatever else they might want to do. Is that a message you're actually giving them as a representative of the MPA? Are you actually saying, you agree to this bill, you won't have... You, you won't have the problems the Labor government had with uh, you know, all the suspicion about... Um, directly funding journalism, you know, we'll get it from the tech companies and you won't have to be involved. Well, you never know, say never, Colin. But but that is certainly the message that I'm hearing very clearly from the commercial publishers is that their preference is not to have government involvement in the way that journalism is funded. What you want is a sustainable uh, level of financial revenue that allows you to make independently the right decisions for your business and your community without any need for government intervention. So have you talked to the minister, the new minister about it? Melissa Lee, has she sought you out or or communicated with the NPA? Uh, Sinead and uh, I had a meeting with her briefly in December before Christmas, just as an introduction, and uh, Sinead knows her and has uh, chatted with her on a number of occasions, and and again, it was just uh, we wanted to see this legislation go through, and and we're pleased to hear that she was going to let it go to select committee. Do you think 
MPs from National Act, New Zealand First, do you think enough of them actually share that belief that somehow the news media really is in the public interest, that you're not just a, a business looking for uh, you know, a, an advantage like any other business? Come election time, they all go and sit in on debate forums with their local newspapers in their electorates. They will all turn to their local publishers, regardless of where that might be across New Zealand, and know that those local publications, in whatever form it might be, whether it's radio or print or digital, are the ones who will show some interest. Absolutely, they know the value of a broad range of media right across every pocket of New Zealand. They also know that you can go beyond the news media, you can use social media channels, create your own memes, do whatever. There's a lot of ways you can get a message out to the public these days that don't involve talking to a journalist. Well, that's true, but but that's not really speaking to your local community about what worries them and and the kind of elements, you know, the kind of things they need done for their community. Well, your um, opinion piece that you wrote uh, this week in advance of the hearing uh, saying how important it was. Uh, a lot of newspapers found space to publish uh, <laughs> publish that, uh, which I guess you're pleased about. But look, in that you said this will be a momentous week uh, for the media, potential game changer. So now that it's happened, the select committee's listened. Uh, has it helped? I think so. I mean, I, I think the MPs on that select committee, they earned their money yesterday. There was a lot of information. There were no break. And, and the point that I made in the op-ed, here's an opportunity for the media in New Zealand to make their case, to state why they think that there's a breakdown in the market here and why they think legislation is necessary for it. So I think they did that well. I think the interesting element here, too, that comes into it is, um, and, and given the nature of it, there wasn't a huge amount of time for each of those uh, those people to discuss um, artificial intelligence and, and what the option here is. And I know Minister Lee yesterday evening made a comment around the fact that the legislation as it stands at the moment really doesn't address uh, AI and particularly generative AI, which is the form of the technology that creates content, images, words, whatever. The opportunity, I think, here is for New Zealand to actually come up with world-leading legislation. The payment by companies who are developing those chatbots should fairly recompense the media companies whose content they're using to build those machines and lead the world with the way that is described and the obligation on those companies to fairly recompense the media companies whose content they're using. That was the News Publishers Association's Public Affairs Director, Andrew Holden. Well, here at Media Watch, we've also asked to talk to the Media Minister, Melissa Lee, about her government's plans for the media, including that fair digital news bargaining bill. She has yet to take up our invitation. But on the day that media bosses urged the government to back the bill, reporters at Parliament elsewhere doorstopped her to ask, will you? Uh, Well, you know what my position was in opposition. Uh, It is currently going through a select committee process and I wanted that to actually happen and I'll make due consideration after the process. I don't know what the select committee is going to produce. Do you support the bill in its current form? No, I don't. Why not? I think there are a lot of things that are actually missing from it and I have always actually said if the uh, platforms are actually monetizing from the use of of news, they should pay for it. Uh, That is not something that the media have actually reflected. That is what I said. But uh, I think in terms of, um, uh, you know, uh, search function, 
I don't think that is something that people um, um, people should actually have to pay for. Nor if I am actually sharing a news uh, on my Facebook uh, page, whether Meta should actually pay for that. But there are other things that are actually happening where platforms are actually monetizing, and I've always actually said that they should pay for it. The bill doesn't actually reflect the AI. Uh, and what it's actually doing, and I think you know, I think the select committee process will actually produce some answers. I'm not so sure it will actually produce all of the answers, and so I will look at the bill after the select committee process to see whether it actually goes forward. Thank you, Minister. The Minister of Media and Communications, Melissa Lee, there telling reporters after Thursday's select committee hearing, she doesn't support the fair digital news bargaining bill in its current form, and she says she'll wait and see what the Economic Development, Science and Innovation Committee says about it. So, more to come on all this clearly, and we'll follow it all right here on Media Watch. Well, that's all we have for you in Media Watch this weekend, but we'll be back with more on the media on Midweek Media Watch next Wednesday after 9.30 on Nights with Emil Donovan. And then we'll be back again with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.